You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Welcome to Anthem. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Um, you guys feel good after that extra hour of sleep last night? You guys? Yeah? I, uh, I was cutting it up on the dance floor last night, so I feel... I'm getting older, and I'm realizing that I feel hurt when I don't do anything. So then when I do things, I feel even more stiff. So that's me this morning. But that's all right. We're, we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, I get the privilege to go through Nehemiah. The, this is the last chapter. This is the last journal entry. Um, we've been walking through this, uh, this passage where this whole book, where it is, it's Nehemiah's journal. And so this morning we come to the end of all of that and we see a few, few remarks where Nehemiah is wrapping things up and he's kind of putting finishing touches and he's, he's asking God to remember him for, for certain things. And, and as you're turning there to Nehemiah 13, and as I've been thinking about this passage, I was thinking about a story uh, from this book that I started reading, which I do that a lot. You know, you, you start reading the book and you get a few chapters in, and it's like, yeah, I got it. But um, this book I started reading is called Kill the Spider. And in, the, in this book, uh, the, there was this pastor, and he was telling this story about how he was preaching at these revival services. And the first night of the revival service, like revival services back in the day, if you grew up in church, you remember week-long revival services. Anybody remember that? Yeah? Okay, like three people. That's great. Yeah, I used to make a little bed under the pew during revival services as a kid. Um, but this, this pastor was talking about first night of revival services. Uh, this woman came up, and they had this time of uh, response where, where people could come up, and they could ask for prayer, and, and they could receive Christ and all these different things. Um, and so this woman was coming up to the pastor, and she, he could tell she was just broken, and she was weeping. And she, she came up, and she said, Pastor, would you please pray for me that God will, will help me clean the cobwebs out of my life? And so the, so the pastor said, yeah, we can pray for that. And so he started to, to pray for her and, and just praying that God would clean the cobwebs out of her life. And, and she, she went away grateful and thankful. And then the next night of revival services, the, the woman started coming up again during the time of, of, uh, of, of response. And, and the pastor was thinking, man, I can't wait to hear what God is doing in her life, how God had answered that prayer. Maybe she's coming to share. And, and she came up and again, the same thing. Pastor, would you please Pray for me that God will help me clean the cobwebs out of my life. So the pastor prayed for her again, and she went away thankful. And third night, revival services, people were coming up, accepting, praying, crying, like uh, crying out to God, confessing sin. This woman comes up again, same thing. She said, Pastor, one more time, would you please, one more time, would you please pray that God will help me clean the cobwebs out of my life? And he said it was almost like God spoke directly to her through him. And he said, no, we're not going to do that again. I'm not going to pray for you to, to help God, help, have God help you clean the cobwebs out of your life. I'm going to pray that God will kill the spiders in your life that's causing those cobwebs to be there. And as I, as I read that and I was talking to my wife about it, it's like there's something in there that's like, oh, that's, that's good, right? Because you get to the end of that story and it's like, yeah. I want that, right? Because there's times in my life where I feel like I, I'm just managing sin, like cleaning cobwebs. You guys clean that way where like maybe you have somebody coming over 
Because that's, I mean, we're getting close to the holidays and we're going to have family and, and, and parties and all that stuff. And, and, and sometimes in, in our context, like we have people over and it's like, oh, uh, shoot, we got we to gotta do some stuff in here, right? Let's, like, let's look at all the corners and make sure there's no cobwebs because we have people coming over. Todd Van Voorst was saying that if their house is clean, it's because there's a closet somewhere that's not, right? Because you got you to gotta clean up real quick. And, and, and it's the same with the cobwebs where, where you clean them out, make sure nobody sees what's going on. But if you're like me, I mean, you, you're not going to clean the cobwebs out from like under the steps, right? That's where cobwebs, that's where they're okay. You're not going to clean the cobwebs out from under the steps. You're not going to, you're, you're going to clean them out where people are going to see, but like that weird cabinet that's like too high for you to reach anyway, right? You're not going to open that to see if there's cobwebs in there because your, your company is not going to open that up. Right? And so, so we just manage sin, and, and we, we, we clean the cobwebs out that people see, but we don't clean the cobwebs out that people don't see. And in addition to that, not only do we not clean the cobwebs out that people don't see, but in addition to that, we rarely go after the spider that's causing those things to happen, because then that's going to take some effort. Right? We're going we're gonna to gonna have to do some investigating. We're going to have to do some spraying or, or whatever it takes right? until, until they get into like your bed. Then it's like, boom, we're, this is, I've had enough. Right? right? Have you ever had that where it's, your wife's like, kill it, kill it, kill it? Maybe, no? Okay, just, just me. But see, what we see oftentimes is, is we are so content with managing sin. We're so content with cleaning the cobwebs. And what, what I see this morning is Nehemiah saying, no, we're not going to clean cobwebs. We're not going to manage this stuff. We're going to kill it. And he takes people and, and he, he recenters them and he, he, he recommits them and he reforms them. And that word reform, it's actually uh, this idea of going back to good. And, and Todd was helping me in teacher's meeting this past week. He was helping me put some more language to it. And he was saying, um, the, you can think of reform like this in, in the scripture. Like take, take the creation account, for example. We see God forming the garden. We see God forming everything. And after everything, he says, man, that's good. Right? God, I, I love how God, it's like, it's like my dad when he makes pancakes. He's like, those are good, aren't they? You know, it's like, God's like, man, that's good. I am, I am good at this, right? Everything, it's like, that's good, and that's good, and that's good. And, and, then, and then we see in Genesis 3, sin comes in, and what does sin do? It, it doesn't create anything new. It doesn't form anything new. It takes what God has said is good, that thing that God formed, and it deforms it. And sin causes people to, to run after things that, that aren't God. And sin causes people to, to, to make themselves God and chase after pleasure and all these other things. And, and then sin and death and tears and sadness and tension enter into God's perfect world and deforms what God formed. But then we also see throughout Scripture, we see even in the beginning, we see God working to reform his people, taking them back to what's good, right? Right? And in, in this last chapter of Nehemiah's journal, we see kind of this recipe for reform, this recipe for killing spiders, not just managing sin, not just cleaning out cobwebs, but killing the spiders in our lives. And it just follows that, follows that, that, that idea of, of identifying what God has formed, seeing how sin has deformed it, and then seeking after God for reform. Right, so, so that's what we're looking at. The, and the question is, how do we do that, right? Let's, so let's keep that in mind. How do, we, how do we kill these spiders? How do we not manage? How do we, how do we follow this progression? And chapter 13, starting in verse 1, 
It says this, on that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. All right, stop there. (laughs) I promise we'll pick up the pace. But uh, chapter 13, verse 1, it says, on that day. On that day they read from the book. On what day? I think it's important to understand what's going on here because in, in chapter 12 we see there's a party going on. These people went from, from this whole book, it went from, from the people having their walls broken down for hundreds of years, them living in shame, them taking on a cultural identity of shame and saying, well, this is who I am. I'm a broken person. This is just life now. And yet God is saying, no, that's not life. That's not what I meant you to be. That's not who I want you to be. And so we see people rebuilding the walls, the physical representation of God's blessing. And in chapter 12, they're dedicating the walls. They're celebrating. They're saying, we don't have to live in shame anymore. We don't have to live in, in, in pain and, and be afraid. And we don't have to live according to that old identity any longer. And it says they're celebrating. You could hear it from a long ways away. I mean, this is a party. And like any party, right, they break out the Bible and start reading. Like, that's, that's how my parties usually go, right? You, you break out the Bible and you start reading from the Old Testament. And it's like, all right, this is going to Now, that's not your party. I'll, I'll pray for you that you can have better parties. But that's what's going on. And in in the second part of verse 1, it says, And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. All right, so what we see here is the party's going on, they're, they're celebrating, they, they're, they break out the, the law, the Old Testament, and they're, they're saying, look, we want to stay in this. We don't want to manage sin anymore, we don't want to clean cobwebs, we want to keep killing spiders, so how do we do that? Let's go to the Bible. Let's go to what God says. And they read from, from the Old Testament, they read most likely Deuteronomy chapter 23, where God is speaking to the people through Moses, and he's saying, look, the Ammonites, the Moabites... They are not allowed to be a part of the fellowship of God's people. And, and we read that, and, and I'm reading that. It's like, man, that, that just hits me wrong. Why is that? Why, why are, is one group of people not allowed to be, or a couple groups of people are not allowed to be in this? And, and, and he goes on to talk about the context. And you can read, in, starting in Numbers chapter 22, we're not going to go through the whole story, but, but we see when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt... And throughout the course of the Exodus, they're coming to this place, and God's doing amazing things. And then they come to this place where the Moabites and the Ammonites are. And instead of blessing God's people, the Moabites and the Ammonites seek to curse God's people. Instead of aligning themselves with what God is doing, they seek to stop what God is doing. And so God says, look, these people, they threaten to take you away from me. These people, they threaten to to take your hearts away from me. So, So therefore, do not allow that to happen. See, this isn't about um, ethnic groups. This isn't about one ethnic group being above another ethnic group. And the reason I say that, and I can say that I believe with confidence, is because we have a book in the Old Testament called Ruth. All right, now who can tell me who one of the, the main characters of Ruth, the book of Ruth, are? Who can tell me? Ruth. Jeremy, you don't have to raise your hand. You can just shout it loud. I'm proud. Right? Who is it, Jeremy? Naomi. Na- well, yeah, Jeremy. Naomi. <laughs> Naomi's going for brownie, or Jeremy's going for brownie for and Yeah, Naomi. But also Ruth, right, Jeremy? Ruth? Because that's who the book is named after. Who can tell me? Ruth, do you remember who Ruth was? She wasn't an Israelite. She wasn't Jewish. She was a Moabite. 
See, and in, in, in the book of Ruth, we see, we see Ruth talking to who, Jeremy? Naomi, right, yeah. We see Ruth talking to Naomi and Ruth, this Moabite, talking to an Israelite woman saying, I'm going to be with you. Your people are going to be my people. Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And through that story, through the book of Ruth, we see God doing an amazing thing. We see God bringing people who were far off into fellowship with him. See, this isn't about an ethnic people group. This is about people who are aligning themselves with God and people who are trying to take people away from God. And God says, look, don't allow people in your midst, those things that can take you away, don't allow those things to to remain and fester. And so we see when they heard it, they removed from themselves all those of foreign descent, the Moabites, the Ammonites. Then verse 4, let's keep going. Now before this, Eliashib, the, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. Stop there. Now, what we see happening here is, is this is kind of after the fact, and we see this guy named Eliashib. He's, he's a priest. He's a guy that's supposed to be leading people in worship of God. And we see Eliashib, he is an, uh, related to this guy named Tobiah. Now, if you've been with us through the course of this, this series and you're going through the book of Nehemiah, in your mind you should be saying, What? What? Right, I mean, it's crazy, right? And if you're not thinking that, let me explain to you why you should be. Because Tobiah, we we read in chapter two of Nehemiah, Tobiah was an Ammonite, okay? Tobiah was an Ammonite. He's friends with this guy named Sambalad, who is a Horonite. He's another uh, another enemy of God. And in chapter four, verse three, they don't like what's going on with the rebuilding of the wall and and the people being brought out of shame. And so so they they start to uh, try and, talk bad about the Israelites, and they go up, and they're like, what are you doing? You're not going to be able to do this, and, and remember, Tobiah comes, he's like the little crony of Sambalat, and he's like, yeah, if a fox jumps on your wall, it'll knock you down, huh? and that's what, that's what it sounds like in my mind, right, but they couldn't, they couldn't stop the work of God's people by just putting them down, and so they're like, all right, we're going to come against them, and we're going to actually kill them, and in, uh, later on in chapter four, they bring people against the Israelites, But the Israelites rally with Nehemiah, and they fight against him. They fight him off. They keep building the wall, and so they can't kill him. So in chapter 6, Tobiah is part of a plot against Nehemiah, and they're like, well, if we can't can't stop the work by by killing the people, we're going to kill Nehemiah. That'll stop the work. But Nehemiah doesn't fall for their plot, and so they just keep going. And then in the end of chapter 6, we see Tobiah actually has, has kind of wormed his way into the, the power structure of the Israelites. He's, his family has intermarried with a lot of the different families of Israel, and he begins to write letters of influence, and he writes letters talking bad about Nehemiah, like shaming him on Facebook or something, or tweeting or whatever. You know, he's, he's like sending these things out, but he couldn't stop it even then. See, Tobiah is an enemy of God's people, and he is a foreigner, a, a, a foreigner who is trying to take people away from God. He's trying to keep the people in bondage. He's trying to keep the people in shame because he likes the people in bondage and shame because that's where his power lies. And yet we see, first of all, that we see that, that Eliashib, the priest, he's allowed to buy it into his family. There's, there's things going on in Eliashib's family that should not be going on, and Eliashib is just kind of letting it happen. 
And then not only that, but, but they don't, it says in verse 3 that, that they, they separate themselves from all who's foreign, but we see that Tobiah is allowed to live in the temple, in the house of God, in the place where people were to experience God. You see, it seems as though Tobiah went from somebody who should have been seen as foreign, somebody who is threatening to take the people away from God. He should have been seen as foreign, but he was seen as familiar to the people of God. Right? It says that they removed themselves from all who are foreign, but, oh, but, I mean, Tobiah, come on. He's my son-in-law. Tobiah, come on, let's, we don't need to remove Tobiah. I mean, he's just always been here. You see, I wonder, as I was thinking through that, I wonder if there are things in our lives that have gone from, from things that should be foreign, but now they're familiar to us. Right? Paul says it this way in, in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. See, he's talking to this church in Ephesus, and he's saying, Sexual immorality, covet, these things, you're God's people. You have things among you that they shouldn't even be named among God's people, and yet they're there. He, he tells the other church in, in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 2, he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. He's saying, look, you have taken sexual immorality and covetousness and things that should not even be named among God's people, and you're being arrogant about it. You, you turn it into entertainment. You say, oh, look how, look how forward-thinking we are. Look how progressive we are. Look how tolerant we are. And Paul says, no, look how wrong you are. Because things in your life have gone from being foreign to familiar, things that should never be with God's people. And it's like, well, that's, I mean, that's our culture. What do you expect? That's the way things are. And maybe for you, it's not sexual immorality. Maybe it's not covetousness. Maybe for you, it's, it's things like, I don't know, how we treat those people around us who don't look like us, who, do, who don't have the economic advantages we do. And we say, well, that's just, that's just how it is. That's how our culture is. That's, that's normal. That's natural. That's familiar. Or maybe for you, it's, it's how people talk about other people in, in your class or, or at your job. And, and, and it's gossip, but it's like, well, but I mean, it's, it's, it's the job. What are you, you going to do? It's the way it is. See, Nehemiah says, no, if we're, going to, if we're going to go back to what's right, if we're going to be killing spiders in our lives, the things that are foreign need to stay foreign, and we need to separate ourselves from them, or they will separate us from God. Do you see that? You see, then it doesn't stop there. Nehemiah talks about where he's been. Verse 6, while this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king. So, so what he's saying there is he's saying, look, while this is all taking place, I went back home. Because Nehemiah still has a job back home in Babylon. He got 12 years leave to, to work on the wall, to help the people, but the 12 years is up, so he goes back home, and he's probably home any, like, maybe 10 or 11 years he's been gone, possibly. All right, so he's saying, I, I, I wasn't there, right? But then he comes back, 
The king lets him, lets him come back, and in verse 7 it says, And came to Jerusalem, and I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. <laughs> I, love, I love how he's writing. Like, I wonder if those words were emboldened in his journal. It's like, I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders, and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. You see, Nehemiah looks at this, and he says, okay, guys, this isn't, this isn't going to happen. I'm not just going to manage this. We're not just going to manage these things. This, is, this goes deeper than, than anything else. And, and the reason Nehemiah gets so angry, and the reason he throws Tobiah's stuff out is because because them having Tobiah in the house of God means their worship of God is forsaken. And let me, let me read to you how that, how that plays out. Verse 10, I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. And you say, well, how does that, how does that fit in? The portions, they weren't given to the Levites. What we see in verse 5, all the, 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 the place where Tobiah was given, it was the place where the, the grain offerings and the oil and all that stuff, was. that was where that was meant to be stored. And that was the thing that sustained the Levites and the, the people, the, the singers and the priests that, that worked in the temple. But because Tobiah was allowed to have this, this kind of random room, this like, well, I mean, it's okay for that, right? It's okay. I mean, it's Tobiah, right? We can give him this room. Because he was allowed to have that room, the Levites didn't have the things that they needed to support them, so they left the temple. And the temple began, began to be in ruin. People stopped coming. They stopped experiencing God the way that God wanted them to experience him. See, I think it's interesting that, that Tobiah, he wasn't, he wasn't given like the holy of holies, Right, the, the, the main part inside the temple where, God's, where the, the Ark of the Covenant was and where God's spirit dwelt. He wasn't given that. I mean, he wasn't given like the, the, even the place outside of that, the holy place. Like he wasn't given that place where like the, the showbread and the, the altar was. He wasn't given that place. I mean, this is just a room off the side. It'd be like our nursing mother's room over here. Like, it's like, uh, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll give him that place. That's fine, right? It's not like he has his hot pot plugged in on top of the Ark of the Covenant, right? And his, his towel hanging over the cherubim. Like, it's not, it's not like that, so it's okay, right? It's okay that there's this, that there's this place that, that it's like, well, we just won't talk about that. We just won't, we just won't let, let that happen. But you see, them being fine with parts of the temple not being dedicated to God meant that they were fine with parts of their lives not being dedicated to God. Them being fine with worship that was lacking was, was them being fine with, with a view of God that was lacking. So do we do that? Do we, do we have that? Because you see, when we have parts of our lives that it's like, okay, you can have all of this, but just don't look in that closet. Just don't open, just don't open that part of my life. I, I really don't want to go there because you don't understand what happened here. You don't understand why I keep doing this. You don't understand what's, what the root is. And so, so let's just, I'll, I'll keep worshiping you and I'll raise my hands. I'll fill out a, a box for the Christmas child thing. I'll even go to the nation's night. I don't even care that much about missions, but don't, don't let me do all this. Like don't, don't go here. See, and when we do that, it's, it says that you're okay with worship that's just okay. It's like when, when we lived in Sumner, I was, when I was pastoring up there, 
we had kind of an older house, and, and uh, we, we got mice at one point. And I remember, I remember sitting at our, at our dining room table one morning. I was eating breakfast, and I saw this little mouse scamper along the, the edge of the dining room like the baseboard. And, and honestly, and I was young and dumb, and honestly, at the time, my, my first thought was, oh, that's cute. Like, oh, little mouse, that's nice, you know, <laughs> like... You know, like stories of, I don't know what was going through my head. I don't know why I thought that. But, but it wasn't too long after I saw that first mouse that I began to find remnants of the mouse in other places. Like in my, in my clothes, like in my, in my drawers, like I would find the, the, oh, the mouse has been here, right? <laughs> like, and, and like in, we had a little drawer that, that we had like cupcake stuff in and like it's like, oh, the mouse ate all of our cupcake like decoration things. It's like, oh, the mouse pooped in our silverware drawer. I thought that, you know, it's like, I thought it was gonna stay in the dining room and stay this nice little cute manageable thing but then the mouse began, became mice, we started leaving traps, and in one glue trap, we caught three of them. It was like, this is out of, out of control. This is out of hand. But you see, the same thing happens in our lives when we say, well, but that, this part's manageable. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give this. We can, we can make sure we clean the cobwebs that people see, but, but surely God doesn't want me to do this. Surely God doesn't intend for me to, to go like all in with this thing. See, God's not okay with worship that's just okay. And we see that in places like Galatians 6, 7 through 8. It says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. What, what that means is if, if you have parts of your life that you're, that you're trying desperately to hide, places where you're like, well, as long as people don't see that, as long as, as long as we don't let them into this closet, if you have places like that in your life, and you cannot truly follow God the way he wants you to follow him. You cannot truly experience God the way he wants you to experience him. And God says, that will be found out. You can't just limp along because you will be picked off. And sooner or later, those things will multiply and it will overtake you. And in the same way, Tobiah, it's like, well, Tobiah is just in the room, Right? It affected everything, and they did not experience God the way they got it. See, see, what God had formed was this place, the temple, where people could experience him, where they could come and have their sins forgiven. That's what he formed, and what sin did, what Tobiah did, what, what the people allowed to do was that, that, that they couldn't experience God that way because, because things were off. And, and there was somebody in there that shouldn't have been in there, and he was taking God's place. And that's what sin did to deform it. And, and then what Nehemiah comes in, he says, all right, this is, this is done. And he kicks out stuff, and he, he throws out Tobiah's, Tobiah's furniture and his hot pot and his, his nightstand and all these different things. In verse 11, he says, so I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of grain, wine, and oil into the storehouse. And I appointed as treasurer over the storehouses Shelmiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah of the Levites, and Ezra assistant Hanan, the son of Zakur, son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to, to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O God. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. See, I think it's an important point to, to realize as we talk about killing spiders in our lives that it's not just about getting out the bad things. It's not just being against things. 
It's not just seeing things out there and saying, oh, we got to go after that. But it's, it's, it's being about the right things, too. See, Nehemiah kicks out Tobiah. He throws all his stuff out, but then he brings in men to help him out. He brings in the, the things that would, that would reestablish God's place in the lives of the people. See, and I think lots of times we say, well, but, but I don't, you know, I don't look at pornography. I don't, I don't you know, do things like that. And it's like, well, that's, that's great that you're against that. But how do you love the people that are, that are in your general vicinity? How, how do you love the people that you're in contact with every day? You may say, well, I'm against abortion, right? We all know that. That's something we should be against. But are you reaching out in love to, to the young women who may be contemplating that, who are terrified of the things that they've done? Are you reaching out in love to them? Like you may say, well, I'm not racist to anybody, but how are, you, how, are you, how are you approaching people who might not look like you? How are you, how are you going? It's not, not just, again, it's not just about kicking out the bad things and getting our picket signs and saying, we're against these things. But, but are you loving people around you? Are you bringing people in to help you? Are, you? are you doing the things in your life that reestablish God's place in your heart? Because I think when we, when we just are focused on what we're against, then, then it becomes all about me and me like circling the wagons and me like doing whatever. And then it just goes downhill from there. When we say, well, I'm not just a, against these things. We're going we're gonna to separate ourselves, but I'm also going to bring people in to help me do this. I'm also going to bring people to help me hold me accountable. I'm also going to, to begin to keep the important things in my life important and the things that aren't important, not important, so that God can continue to have his place in my heart, in my life. We see God forming. We see sin deforming. We see Nehemiah going after reformation. But then, but then we see in verse, sorry, verse 13, it, it changes and he, he, says, he says, remember me, O oh my God, concerning this. And then verse 15, in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Verse 16, Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. So, so let's stop there. He's saying, look, this is going on. He, he says, I also saw not only, not only is God not being worshipped properly in the temple, we had to do some stuff there, but also outside of the temple. See, see Tobiah in the temple didn't just affect the temple. It, it, he began to affect all these other things, the Sabbath. And see, what God had formed in the Sabbath, we read in, in places like Ezekiel 20, verse 12, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between, the, between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. See, what God had formed in the Sabbath was an opportunity each week for the people to realign themselves and say, Okay, my job does not sustain, it doesn't sustain me. My comfort is not the most important thing. My, my status is not the thing that's going to provide, like, it's not going to keep me going. Each week, the Sabbath was a time for people to stop and say, okay, remember God because it's him who is in charge of all of this. Remember God because it's him who supplies my needs. Remember God because it's him who gives me my identity and nothing else. And see, we see these people, Nehemiah sees them, and they're treating the Sabbath day like any other day. 
And we see the Tyrians bringing in fish, and, and he confronts it. He says he sees these people bringing in fish into the city that was just rebuilt. And we see in verse 17, Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you're doing, profaning the Sabbath day? I think it's important for us to realize that Nehemiah doesn't confront the people out there. As, as he's looking at the Sabbath day, he doesn't confront the Tyrians. He confronts the Israelites. He doesn't confront the people that, that don't know any better. He confronts the people who call themselves God's people. He confronts them because, because they, we, should have a better understanding of where, where our security comes from. See, if, if you hear this message and you start to think about people out there, then I think you've missed it. Because this isn't just pointing you to people out there. It's, it's saying, okay, what about in here? What am I doing in here? How does that, how does that look in here? And he says it, he confronts them. And then verse 18 says, did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. You see what he, what he says there is he, he, he kind of says, this is what God formed and this is what's happening. This is you're allowing sin to deform it. He says, don't you remember the shame that we walked in? Don't you remember the brokenness that you felt? He says, don't go back there. Don't do those things again because remember what we did. Remember that we lost sight of the importance of God in our lives. And then everything went downhill. We began to look at our jobs and we began to look at our figs and we began to look at our money as, as our God's as the things that would sustain us, as the most important things in our lives, and that's where everything went wrong. So he says, guys, remember that. Don't go back to that. I, I love how Paul even, even says it kind of this way in uh, Galatians. Uh, he says in chapter five, verse one, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, Nehemiah says God formed it this way. Sin is threatening to deform it and, and put you back into slavery, put you back into shame. He says, don't go there. Don't do that. And then verse 19, I love it. He's not done. He says, as soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. So, so in the Old Testament, the Sabbath began when, when the sun went down on Friday night. So that's when the Sabbath began, and it ended when the stars came out on Saturday night. Okay, so he's saying when the, when the sun started to go down, I shut the doors. So we're not going to manage sin here. We're not going to just clean out the cobwebs. He says, I'm shutting this down, right? And he goes on, and he says, I gave orders, and I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Verse 20, then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the walls? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. Right? Nehemiah's like, yeah, he's awesome. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. <laughs> did you see that? It's like once or twice they did it. Once or twice. And then I said, look, look, listen, listen, let's be clear. You do this again, we're going to have a problem. We're going to tussle. Right? I'm going to lay hands on you. And this isn't like, oh, Lord, help them to, <laughs> to, uh, to not come anymore. You see, he goes, he goes from, he, he confronts the people who should know better. He says, we need to take a hard look in ourselves. But then he says, all right, but we're not going to let other things out there come into places that are reserved for God. 
and take us away from God too. He says we, we, need to be, we need to be after sin in our lives. We need to be killing the spiders in our lives. And he says, look, don't, don't come back here. And then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. See, again, he not only kicks out the right things, he not only shuts the doors, he not only says, look, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not just going to stumble into impurity anymore. We're not just going to to allow people talk about other people anymore and and take that in and and enter into it too. We're not not just going to to take in what the culture tells us. We're going to shut it down. And we have the ability to do that through Christ. We, I, I believe that, that what Galatians tells us, and if we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the sin nature. You guys, we have the power and the ability to, to understand, okay, this is how sin is threatening to deform me, and so I'm going to shut the gate on that thing. Through the power of Christ, through humility, I'm going to shut that down. I'm not going to watch that thing anymore. I'm not going to go to that thing. I'm not going to entertain that in my life. And then he brings in the right things again. He brings in guys to help him toe the line. Some of you are trying to live this Christian life all by yourself, and I believe you're headed for destruction if it's an individual thing that you're doing. That's why we have connection groups. If you're not in a connection group, you should be in a connection group. Because we desire to live this out together to help people shut doors, to help people clean cobwebs, to help people kill the spiders, to help them see how God has meant for them to be formed and how sin is deforming and help them go after reform. And that's what Nehemiah is doing. He goes on. We see, we see another aspect here. And he, again, Nehemiah says, remember this, oh my God. And then verse 23, in those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Again, surrounding people who they were told not to do in the Old Testament earlier on. And it says in verse 24, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Okay, I wanna stop there because I don't wanna just gloss over what we just read, Right? Because some of you are reading that, it's like, maybe it's the first time you've read Nehemiah, and, and it's like, okay, is this prescriptive? Like, is this what we're supposed to be doing? Or is this just descriptive of what he did, you know? And so how do we, what do we do here? See, again, what I want us to understand is that Nehemiah saw the severity of sin. Nehemiah understood that, hey, we just came from brokenness. We just came from shame. We just came from all this. And not only that, but the last time I preached here at Anthem, uh, I preached on chapter 10. And in chapter 10, verse 29, it talks about all the Levites, all the rulers, all the leaders. They came together, and it says in verse 29, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, a servant of God. In verse 30, it says, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. See, these people, just a few, just years before this, just a few chapters before this in Nehemiah's journal, they said, we won't do these things. We, may a curse be upon us. May the walls be broken down again. May we, may we go into shame again if we forget this. And Nehemiah comes back on the scene. He says, guys, you, you forgot again. And he goes after the leaders. He goes after these people who are leading their families in sin. He doesn't beat and curse the children. 
He doesn't beat and curse the people out there who don't know any better. He, he says, Let, let's take a hard look at ourselves. What are you doing? Are you managing your sin? Are you allowing your family to walk in sin because you don't want to kill the spiders in your life? Are you allowing for this to happen? And he goes after them and he, he says, all right, let's, let's make an oath again. And then he, he says, look, this is, what, this is what God had formed. He formed this people to be set apart so that people outside could know what God was doing. In verse 26, he says, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all, all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Now, what he's saying there is he's talking about King Solomon, who is David's son, right? And in that, he's saying, look, King Solomon was awesome, and he was, he was super smart, and he had a lot of wisdom, and he was a good king, and God loved him. And yet, throughout the course of his life, he allowed women from other nations, from other, other people groups to come in, and he had like over 3,000 concubines and wives. Like, that's a lot, right? That's a lot of women. And with each one, they brought their own God. With each one, they brought their own way of life. With each one, they brought their own understanding of what it means to live moral or, or immoral. And at the end of Solomon's life, he was completely separated from God. So Nehemiah says, guys, we're not gonna do this. We're not gonna manage sin. We're gonna kill the, we're gonna kill the spiders. We're not just gonna clean the cobwebs. And he ends the whole thing, this journal. And he, he talk, he's talking about it's, this is even getting into the temple. Again, Eliashib, he's, he's, he's related to uh, Sambalat, who is the other enemy. And he chases off his son, who was, who was married to one of these one of these." foreign people and who was, who was taking the, the children of God away. But what I want you to see, what I want you to understand in the course of all this, in the, as, as Nehemiah wraps up his journal and he says in verse 29, remember them, oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and covenants of the priesthood and the Levites. He's saying, look, somebody needs to be beaten for this. Somebody, because they're under a curse. But then in verse 30, he kind of wraps it up and he says, I cleanse them from everything foreign. I establish the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. He says, remember me, oh my God, for good. Those are the final words of Nehemiah. Remember me, oh my God, for good. He says, remember me, God. I, I, don't, want to just, I don't want to just manage this stuff. I want to run hard after you. And I wonder, I wonder if there are reasons that we don't see sin the way Nehemiah sees sin. I wonder if there's reasons that we don't go after things the way Nehemiah does, that, that we just manage these cobwebs. And guys, what I want you to see is that Nehemiah rightly understood that punishment needed to be had because these people were under a curse that they put on themselves because they said, we will follow you, God. And that's what this means. Nehemiah, when he comes back, he says, all right, I cleansed everything. I brought people back, but, but there was punishment that had to be met out. And through reading this, especially this chapter, we see the severity of sin, and we see this, and we say, man, that seems pretty tough, doesn't it? That, that's, that, seems, that seems too much. But we, but we read it, and we see, well, Nehemiah had a right understanding of, of sin because it destroys, and it shames, and it, it deforms. And he knew that people had to... There were some people that needed hands laid on them. And there were people that needed to, to be driven out and needed to be cursed and needed, I don't know, hair pulled? That seems pretty intense. But when we read Nehemiah and we get to read it through the lens of the New Testament, do you know what we see? We see 
that sin is just as destructive. But we see Jesus as a better Nehemiah, not because Nehemiah was wrong, but because Jesus came along and said, you're right. Somebody needs, their, needs hands laid on them, and I'll give myself for that. Jesus saw and said, you're right, somebody needs their hair pulled out and to be punished. And, and the Bible says that Jesus, the beard of Jesus, was ripped out. So somebody needs to be punished, somebody needs to be expelled. And the Bible says that Jesus was taken outside of the city. It says, yes, these people are under a curse, and yet Galatians, Galatians 3 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. See, through this passage, we see the severity of sin, but through the lens of the New Testament, we see the severity of sin not poured out on people who were guilty, but we see the severity of sin poured out on Jesus who came to make people holy. Do you see that? see, as we look through this passage, and the, the question is, how do we kill the spiders in our life, right? Remember that? The, the question is, okay, how, what did God form? What did God mean for us to be? He meant for us to be people who, who, would, who would display what it looked like to follow God, right? And yet we need to identify the fact that sin threatens to deform that, that, that sin threatens for us to say, well, but it's just part of my life. It's okay, Right? That mouse will just stay in the living room. We, we just, it's cute. We don't, we don't need to mess with that. Sin threatens to deform us and take us away from God, and yet what we see through Jesus Christ is that he offers reformation. He offers for us to come back to Jesus, come back to God, have relationship. And so Anthem Church, those of you who are visiting, whoever, my challenge, my prayer for you is that you wouldn't be content with just managing sin, cleaning cobwebs, but through the power of Jesus Christ and following him, we would say, no, we're going to kill the spiders in our lives. We're going to be people who display a holy God. Because when we do that, we get to see what God intended for us. Amen? We're going to pray, and what we're going to do Right now, this is, this is kind of a transition time because, because we get to go into a time of baptism. We get, to, we get to see people take a step, and we get to see people say, okay, like, yes, I'm standing up, and I'm, I'm confessing my, my love for God. I'm confessing that I have been changed. I'm confessing that Jesus is my Lord, and, and I'm going to take this step of baptism. So, so we have a couple people that are being baptized so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us as they come up, and the band's going to come up. So let's pray. God, I, I praise you. I praise you for this opportunity that, that we get to see this played out. God, we get to see people stand up and, and, and verbally proclaim their love for you. And so, God, as we, as we get to see this, I pray, God, that, that if there are challenges in our heart and our lives, that there are, there are places in our hearts where we're still keeping those from you, God, I pray that you would, you would uh, reveal those, God. I pray that you would show us. And, God, I pray that you, would, that you would help us to go back to the good, help us to kill those spiders in our lives, God. And we, we thank you and we praise you. It's in your name. Amen.